less care is exercised in selecting food, a diet may result which is one-sided or badly balanced. That is, one in which either protein or fuel ingredients, the carbohydrates and fat, are provided in excess. The evils of overeating may not be felt at once, but sooner or later they are sure to appear, perhaps in an excessive amount of fatty tissue, perhaps in general debility, perhaps in actual disease. W.O. Atwater, 1902. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, the Food Pyramid. What is the history of the USDA Food Pyramid, and what is behind its development? Why has this graphic been so controversial since the very beginning? Do we really get so worked up about food guidelines, or is there a psychology to the graphic itself? This time, on Conspiracy Theoryology, we climb the triangular steps of nutritional guidance, feed our conspiratorial curiosity, and get a healthy serving of psychology that shapes our fascination with the food pyramid. Howdy, theoryologists. Let's talk about the infamous USDA food pyramid. Think back to when you first saw it. That pyramid poster on the wall. When do you remember seeing it? Grade school? On TV? When was that? How old is that colorful pyramid-shaped stack of food? Well, regardless, that now infamous visual was meant to convey, in summary, the recommended dietary guidelines as outlined by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The food pyramid was controversial from its very introduction. Backed by research, then influenced by agriculture lobbyists, the graphic and many of the recommended guidelines behind it were heavily criticized for vague categorization of some food types, ambiguous and undefined serving recommendations, and the blatant politicizing and alteration of the nutrition science of the time. Criticism notwithstanding, it was rolled out with a huge marketing campaign, and food pyramid posters appeared in school cafeterias and public clinics throughout the country. The guidelines drive planning for multiple USDA-managed food programs, and the impact has been felt since. In fact, its very shape has played a part in its influence. So influential this graphic became, and so pronounced the criticism for it, 
that although it's been replaced with something not triangular in shape, the term food pyramid has become synonymous with the entirety of the history that is the USDA nutrition guidelines, and has even created a bit of a Mandela effect. But before we go further, let's take a step back and remind ourselves of this familiar graphic. What exactly was the food pyramid? Well, it was just that, a pyramid broken into six pieces. It, it stacked sections reflecting the five recommended food groups and a sixth group of fats, oils, and sweets to cap it off. At the base was bread, cereal, rice, and pasta, with the largest recommendation of six to eleven servings. Above that, on the second level, fruits and vegetables are placed next to each other, with the recommendation of three to five servings of veggies and two to four servings of fruit. On row three, next to each other, are the milk, yogurt, and cheese group and the meat, poultry, fish, dry beans, and eggs group, essentially dairy and proteins. Each of these groups had a recommendation of two to three servings. And finally, on top, at the pointy apex capstone, is a triangle of dots representing fats and sugars. The only recommendation on this group is really to use sparingly. Interestingly enough, this capstone seems to have a leak because the dots of fats and sugars sprinkle down throughout the rest of the food groups, apparently to convey both the natural and added fats and sugars present within the five groups. Now, these guidelines were developed through the USDA by an appointed panel known as the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee ostensibly comprised of experts in the fields of nutrition and health sciences. Of course, final approval is contingent upon various reviews and ultimately must meet parameters and directions from USDA leadership, which is also accountable to the agricultural industry advisory groups. These guidelines, right, wrong, or indifferent, have far-reaching influence. The USDA food guidelines direct the dietary structure of many programs led by multiple programs within the U.S. government. Think of all the food programs that exist. I mean, these guidelines dictate the structure of child nutrition programs such as school lunch programs. Other programs include WIC and food distribution programs such as the emergency food distribution, which handles food needs during designated disasters. Additionally, these guidelines dictate the operation of military meal planning. Ultimately, the food pyramid either influenced or directly controlled the dietary provision for a large portion of the public. Before we get into the conspiratorial aspects behind the food pyramid, let's first address this idea of a Mandela effect that I teased earlier. We need to address this because we're going to talk timeline, and it's going to throw you off if we don't work through this out first. So, to begin, remember the questions I asked at the beginning of this discussion? When did you first see the food pyramid, and how old were you? How long has this graphic really been around? So, if you're remembering this as I did, you're thinking back to grade school, and probably elementary. You are picturing the, the image up on a poster or on some projector screen as a teacher is discussing healthy eating habits. Well, unless you were born in the mid-80s, you're wrong. The USDA food pyramid was introduced to the public in 1992. Yep, that's right. It didn't exist until many of you 
were much older, and perhaps even well into adulthood. Mind blown, right? This is absolutely a Mandela Effect scenario, a false memory phenomenon, wherein we remember something that either did not happen or happened differently than is remembered. Don't worry though, this one actually may have a good reason for it. First and foremost, you aren't going crazy. There definitely were USDA-provided food guidelines in place well before 1992, and long before the food pyramid was introduced in the U.S. With that said, let's get into a simple timeline that led to the development of our notorious pyramid of conspiracy. The USDA's first nutrition guidelines can be traced all the way back to 1894, essentially recommending moderation in everything, with a diet consisting of a variety of nutrient-rich foods, portion control, and avoiding too much fat. All pretty sensible. A more formalized nutrition guide, established in 1916, was based on five food groups. During the Depression, however, the number of food groups increased to 12, with fruits and vegetables broken down into multiple categories, each with its own daily recommendation to serve as a buying guide for a poorer nation. Now, by the 1940s, the food groups were consolidated again, first to seven, and then to four. Some of you may even remember the basic four, milk, proteins, grains, and fruits and vegetables, which was the guideline from the mid-50s until the late 70s. Though first conceived in 1980, a new food pyramid was released in 92 which separated fruits from vegetables and also included fats and oils. The food pyramid was the standard recommendation before my plate recently came onto the scene in 2011. For those of you that are still absolutely certain you saw a food pyramid well before the 90s, you may not be wrong. I mean, fun fact, a food pyramid was introduced in Sweden in 1972 when their National Board of Health and Welfare came up with a list of basic and supplementary foods. The pyramid was introduced as a means to better uh, provide visual portions than the dietary circle, like that being used by the USDA, which is what most of us remember, but we remember it as a pyramid. Now, going into the future, this advisory council has already been identified for the 2020 review of these food nutrition guidelines which means we will probably see some sort of update or revamping to the current MyPlate design, or at least to the guidelines that support it. And here is where the story starts to get shady. The timeline discussed was a rather straightforward progression that is most definitely what the USDA advertises as the history. And much of it is just that simple. But when it comes to the development of the food pyramid, well... Let's just say that there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen for this one. Now, well described in a 2002 New York Times article, it began in January of 1977 when a Senate committee that was led by uh, George McGovern published its Dietary Goals for the United States. In that, it advised that Americans significantly curb their fat intake to abate this epidemic of quote-unquote, killer diseases supposedly sweeping the country. It peaked in late of uh, 1984 when the National Institute of Health officially recommended that all Americans over the age of two 
eat less fat. By that time, see, fat had become this greasy killer. And uh, in, the memor- in those memorable words of the Center for Science in the public interest, and this model American breakfast of eggs and bacon, well, it was on its way out, and it was becoming a bowl of special K with low-fat milk. A glass of orange juice and toast hold the butter. Well, it's a dubious feast of refined carbohydrates. The Times article goes on to discuss some of the interesting study, both leading up to the findings of the report as well as after. And much of that article dispelled the findings in hindsight. You can imagine the depth this story can go. With over a decade of debate and political wrangling over nutrition research versus commercial interests with the food industry, there is plenty of footage and media copy that covers the debate, the committee hearings, and the opinions on both sides of the discussion. Suffice to say that what matters is the end result. I think that is best summarized really in her own words by Louise Light. Now, Luis is the former director of Dietary Guidance and Nutrition Education Research. She was responsible for the original Food Guide Pyramid development and revamping of the USDA nutrition information. She says this, When our version of the Food Guide came back to us revised, we were shocked to find that it was vastly different from the one we developed. As I later discovered, the wholesale changes made to the guide by the Office of the Secretary of Agriculture were calculated to win the acceptance of the food industry. For instance, the Ag Secretary's office altered wording to emphasize processed foods over fresh and whole foods, to downplay lean meats and low-fat dairy choices because the meat and milk lobbies believed it hurt sales of full-fat products. It also hugely increased the servings of wheat and other grains to make the wheat growers happy. The meat lobby got the final word on the color of the saturated fat cholesterol guideline, which was changed from red to purple because meat producers worried that using red to signify bad fat would be linked to red meat in consumers' minds. Where we, the USDA nutritionists, called for a base of five to nine servings of fresh fruits and vegetables a day, it was replaced with a paltry two to three servings. Luis goes on to say, Our recommendations of three to four daily servings of whole grain breads and cereals was changed to a whopping six to eleven servings, forming the base of the food pyramid as a concession to the processed wheat and corn industries. Moreover, my nutritionist group had placed baked goods made with white flour, including crackers, sweets, and other low-nutrient foods laden with sugars and fats, at the peak of the pyramid, recommended that they, they be eaten sparingly. To our alarm, in the revised food guide, they were now made part of the pyramid's base, and, in yet one more assault on dietary logic, changes were made to the wording of the dietary guidelines from eat less to avoid too much, giving a nod to the processed food industry interests by not limiting highly profitable fun foods, junk food by any other name, that might affect the bottom line of food companies. Now, I know that was a long quote, but wow, she wraps that up. 
Luis goes into this and much more in her book, A Fatally Flawed Food Guide. To emphasize and perhaps prove out the warnings following the release of the pyramid guidelines, rather unsurprisingly, a weight problem swept the U.S., an obesity problem, in fact, of epidemic proportions. This from the T.H. Chan uh, School of Public Health at Harvard. In 1990, obese adults made up less than 15% of the population in most U.S. states. By 2010, though, 36 states had obesity rates of 25% or higher. Today, nationwide, roughly two out of three U.S. adults are overweight or obese. And one out of three is obese. While U.S. obesity rates seem to have uh, uh, stayed steady since 2003, the rates are still rising in some groups. Now, even more alarming to this, the prevalence of overweight and obesity in children and adolescents is on the rise, and youth are becoming overweight and obese at earlier ages. One out of six children and adolescents are obese, and one out of three are overweight or obese. Now, that's, that's a lot of numbers, but ultimately, early obesity not only increases the likelihood of adult obesity, it also increases the risk of heart disease in adults, as well as the prevalence of weight-related risk factors, you know, for cardiovascular disease. Think of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and high blood sugar. Being overweight is at least partly responsible for the dramatic increase in diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, formerly called adult-onset diabetes, among children. That's an especially worrisome trend, given the, the heavy burden of complications associated with the disease. At the end of the day, we end up with a very flawed food recommendation graphic that seems to many to be more focused on encouraging profits rather than healthy choices, and a health crisis of climbing obesity that is at the very least uh, in correlation enough to argue that the food pyramid was, if not the only, Definitely a contributing factor to the obesity epidemic. Now, honestly, when I first started researching this topic, this is where I thought the conspiracy would be found. I was certain there would be plenty of discussion regarding the sinister dealings of industry lobbyists and political players manipulating data in order to promote business performance and drive profit. Heck, I, I assumed there may even be a darker angle that would promote the idea that the government really wanted the population to become unhealthy, and, and that the rise in obesity, that's probably not a far-fetched idea given the health care, that health care is, a, what, a fifth of the U.S. economy? Some let me know if, if that's a theory worth investigating. Seriously, agriculture and food is over 5% of GDP, making it an almost $1 trillion industry. There is a lot riding on dietary choices and trends of the U.S. population. For those of you outside the U.S., I'm certain you would agree that all this could be said of your own government-issued health and nutrition guidelines. But, I had to eventually admit, this isn't the strange part of the story. Not even close. It's no secret that industries lobby legislatures and influence policy. There's no secret conspiracy there. It's conspiratorial for sure, but it's considered above board and out in the open. And in addition to that, the idea that food lobbyists need to team up with 
senators and the agricultural department to encourage the public to eat more mass-produced junk, it's ridiculous. The truth is, most people don't even reference the, the nutrition guidelines. And the food industry does a pretty good job of its own in marketing and advertising, telling us what we want to eat. That it doesn't need some hard-to-understand guidelines issued by the government. However well-intentioned the guidelines may have been at inception, these days, there is a food guideline as individuals, each person eating, out there for us to check out. The USDA nutrition guidelines compete with an ever-expanding nutrition and supplement industry, growing alternative food science and fitness fads and programs. Even when the pyramid was being developed and debated, there was conflicting science trying to influence recommendations to lean one way or the other. But even if there isn't a conspiracy afoot, there is still high strangeness with this mysterious pyramid of food. During my research, I conducted a very, very unscientific survey, in which I basically asked everyone I ran into when they remember first seeing the food pyramid. Everyone, I mean everyone, remembers this food pyramid in early childhood, early grade school. Sure, it was around in the 80s some, but it didn't replace the existing, uh, existing marketing media until 1992. No one over the age of 40 should remember it that fondly. What I thought was a fun trivia about the whole thing seems to be the real mystery. There really is a Mandela effect regarding the food pyramid. So why do we remember it? Was it just such a massive rollout that it ingrained in our brains? Was there some sort of sinister mind control and social manipulation? Well, probably not. There may be a better explanation, as we mentioned earlier, that boils down to shapes. So, we've covered all the sordid history behind this pesky pyramid. So now we really need to get into the theriology. Why has this guideline graphic really fascinated us? And why has it supplanted itself as the representative image for food and nutrition guidance, such that we all remember this thing as existing well before it ever did? Barring a more esoteric Mandela effect scenario, in which case history has been altered intentionally to, to lengthen the past of its existence, or, or we've experienced some sort of time slip or alternate reality, is there something else? To find a potential answer, we have to step away from food and nutrition science and delve into the impact of marketing design and the psychology of shapes. See, the use of an infographic by the USDA to not only convey information but represent a detailed guideline is no small decision. It's all about branding. When it comes to developing a brand, logo design rests on top of the priority list. The power of a logo to elicit an emotional response can have a resounding effect on the way the public views a particular product, service, or company. Logo shapes aren't chosen by chance, and even the most simple logo has complex creation decisions behind it. Because of the, psych uh, the psychological meanings behind shapes, they have quite an impact. In fact, you're probably aware of them without even realizing it. Since these meanings originate from universal associations with nature, 
man-made objects, icons, and symbols, basically everything around us. Circles, triangles, squares, and rectangles all conjure different psychological reactions. And since we are talking about the food pyramid, well, let's focus on the influence of triangles. (laughs) Triangles, because of a wide base and the tapering rise to a point, often represent stability and are associated with foundational thoughts like science, religion, and law. Additionally, they lead the eye upward from the base to the apex. Think of the way a, a triangle can be used instead of an arrow to convey direction. When you partition the triangle in stacked segments, as in the food pyramid, the viewer can evaluate the magnitude of segments through simple visual comparison without having to see specific percentages and quantities. The viewer can see what has more and what has less. Now, all this is sounding pretty good, right? In line with the intent of the food pyramid and the guidelines represented. The USDA would want their graphic to convey stability and a foundation of scientific research. They would want the viewer's eye to flow up through the graphic and understand the weight of the recommended portions easily. Seems like they made a good decision. The problem is that triangles don't stop there. Triangles also do two more things. They show progression of steps and they convey priority and importance. In terms of progression, think of what we discussed before. Triangles lead the eye upward through the shape. As you work through each segment, you can easily see size and magnitude of the segment, understanding if it's large or small. But triangles don't do a particularly good job of showing how those individual segments work as a whole. This is because of the second issue, the matter of priority and importance. It's a triangle. I mean, it has a peak, a top, an apex, the point you aspire to and climb toward. It's hierarchical. The stuff on top takes priority of stuff on the bottom. Now, can you see a potential problem here? Let's imagine an example. Imagine a triangle separated into three parts. This triangle represents the three steps towards sales for an online retailer. Right? The bottom portion, the biggest represents the initial product clicks by potential customers. There are a lot of those. A lot of people are looking at this shiny new product, which is step one. This leads to step two, the second segment, which is not nearly as big as the bottom segment, and it represents those that add the product to their cart. They are much closer to buying, but that is, a, uh, you know, they're smaller at least by half in quantity of the first segment. Finally, though, sitting on top, a tiny little segment that represents step three, actual purchases. This triangle graph has done a a great job in showing the progression of steps from looking to holding to buying and identifying the most important segment, the final actual sales at the top. Even though it has the smallest magnitude, that tiny little triangle sitting atop our big triangle is clearly the most critical, the goal to reach. In this example, we see the steps, but we don't see how these parts all work together as a whole. And we're always going to see the top segment as the most important. Here lies our problem with the food pyramid. Sitting at the top of our original food pyramid, as you remember, 
is the less desirable fats and sugars that we are told to use only sparingly. In contrast to what the USDA would have us do, which is to prioritize our dietary behavior according to the apportioned magnitude for each group, prioritizing the lower groups based on their size and thinking of our meal choices as a whole, we instead give importance subconsciously to the top of the triangle, the very group considered the least desirable. We progress through those steps as though a process. Eat your carbs, fruits, and veggies, some meat and dairy, and then you have arrived successfully to the goal, the reward of fats and sugars, not something to be minimized and avoided, but rather to be attained. In other words, finish your plate and you get dessert. <laughs> this contradiction it causes a bit of cognitive dissonance and results in a visual incongruity, which is simply something that occurs when a picture shows something known by the viewer that is not the case. Eventually, it becomes clear to the viewer that a literal reading of the image will not suffice. This detaches us from the message. The image of the food pyramid tells us to work through the food groups and toward the top, the actual message, though, the guidelines, is to eat from all the food groups as recommended, except for the top, which is to be avoided when possible. The image becomes the message and supplants itself because of branding psychology as representative of the guidelines in their entirety. The representative brand logo is wrong, and therefore the message is wrong, and always has been. Now, to drive this idea home, Let's look at the latest branding attempt by the USDA with the MyPlate graphic. I mean, this is just what it says. It's a plate, a circle. Ah, but circles project positive emotional messages and convey unity. They feel complete in contrast to the triangle. They represent wholeness. The segmented parts within the plate are naturally understood to be part of the whole meal. This is visual and cognitive congruence between the image and the message. We naturally understand this. We all understand the concept of a well-rounded diet. Huh? And this isn't really anything new. The original guidelines of the recommended seven and the basic four were usually depicted in a wheel, a pie chart of slices. This new design resonates so well that we don't even think about it. It doesn't even register, and it certainly doesn't kick the pyramid out of our minds, since the MyPlate redesign is just that. And based on the same guidelines as the previous pyramid, it, it doesn't have the psychological sting to rectify that, that cognitive dissonance originally caused by that agitating pyramid. Now, ultimately, this cognitive dissonance between the intent and, and purpose of the pyramid, in contrast to how it was perceived in visual presentation really resulted in a backlash toward the guidelines. This visual incongruity, more than the realities of manipulation and influence from industrial lobbyists and politicians, seems to be the driving force behind the lack of success. It is also the reason for the revisions to have followed, both the My Pyramid and My Plate efforts at rebranding the guidelines and and They've been attempts at, at presenting the same information, really in a more well-received manner. In the end, though, the food pyramid will go down in infamy and may forever 
be a permanent fixture in our minds, at least for a generation or so. At the end of the day, no single graphic or guideline is going to give us all the insight needed to make the necessary choices and changes required to turn around the dietary and weight-related issues plaguing us today. The good news is that these things are, aren't set in stone, right? Nutrition research is always advancing. And yes, we'll always be battling the commercial interests of a huge food industry. But people are getting smarter and making healthier choices on their own. If you do want a guideline as a starting point, maybe one of the most sensible is the combination provided by the Harvard School of Public Health. They've put together a healthy eating plate and a healthy eating pyramid that work together. Oh, and their guidelines aren't voted on by Congress. So that already gives them a leg up. Okay, that is all for today. Thanks for joining as we explored this food pyramid. Please click that follow and subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Join the Facebook discussion group or find me on Twitter at TheoryologyPod or just recommend the show to others. All the info can be found at the show website, conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the podcast on Patreon. Music is by Adam Henry Garcia, and if you'd like to hear more, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. All right, I'll see you again next time when we will tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. So until then, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.